Hey guys, welcome to the Do Good Podcast with myself, Rob Watson. And in this episode, I went down to Bristol. I had a really lovely, amazing, inspiring chat with Kleiner Jordan from Make Votes Matter, who is pushing for a further voting system. And God knows, if we look around now at the state of politics in the UK, we certainly need a better system. That's something that's going to represent the people better. So Kleiner is really pushing for proportional representation and she's on a mission to do that and has been doing that for the past four years so we chat about all things to do with politics what first inspired her to do it and going right the way back to when she was seven how she first became an activist in a way and definitely an activist at heart and she's looking to create some proper social change so it's really inspiring chat i believe and i think this can it's great to get the message out and these are the sort of things that i'm really interested in and changing so all the better for us so this is definitely definitely an episode for anyone who's looking to get galvanised and take some social change of themselves. So please delve into this and enjoy this one. So anyway, just before we go into it, I just want to say how grateful I am for all the really nice feedback and comments that I got on the previous episode. I feel quite humbled and really nice that it's sort of it's helped some people in some way. And that's all I want to do with this podcast is help and to be of service and if that means by me sharing my own story that can help then that's all good so anyway on to today's podcast but i tell you what would be really good to hear from the listeners is to actually just find out a little bit about what make votes matter is all about mm. okay okay <laughs> go for it tell us a little bit about the organization and how it started and so make votes matter is the national campaign for proportional representation in the house of commons so it's a single issue campaign um, to make seats match votes and so that simply means if a party wins 20 percent of the vote they should get 20 percent of the seats and this is how democracy works in most democracies so 80 percent of democracies already use some form of proportional representation Um, 85% of developed countries use some form of PR um, and so that's basically the OECD countries Um, and the really important thing about it is not just whether it's fair or unfair to particular parties or voters which is really um, important as well particularly whether it's fair to the voters from my perspective the important bit is the outcomes that you get that are linked with proportional representation And there are huge amounts of political science evidence around this. Um, And a a lot of the authors of the reports about these correlations, some of them saying that they're not just correlations, they're causal. Um, And if you think about the logic behind those connections, it makes sense. Um, So, for example, countries with proportional representation take faster action on climate change, were faster to ratify the Kyoto Protocol. Um, They have better environmental legislation. Um, And this isn't kind of my personal driving reason behind why I now work on electoral reform and I co-run Make Votes Matter because um, I've always been an environmental activist um, and that's kind of the most urgent uh, existential threat of our time. Um, And... So I think, for example, Extinction Rebellion have been making a brilliant job of making that whole issue much more prominent and urgent and saying, this is a crisis, we have to act now, the government has to act now, and we can't carry on as we have done, just kind of saying, we've got to change, like this is the kind of crisis point. And so my perspective is that without real democracy, we cannot take the urgent action that we need to for climate change, um, because the system is stacked against us. So... Kind of the, the classic chant from environmental marches is change the system, not the climate. And so that's very much what I'm doing. But it's not just about the environment, of course. There are a whole load of social factors linked with proportional representation, like you have more equal society with PR, um, and you have better representation of women and minorities in Parliament, which obviously has an impact on how the whole country is run as well. Um, and uh, actually see even better economic growth if you think economic growth is a good thing um, in countries with PR Um, much more stability in terms of long-term decision making less combative politics so this whole kind of punch and judy 
thing we have at the moment is very much a function of our voting system. Um, like the Houses of Commons, that's two swords lengths apart, and uh, it's you've got the government and you've got the opposition, and that the, the very function of the opposition is just to fight against. And I mean, you see with the recent situation with Theresa May trying to talk with Jeremy Corbyn about some kind of compromise because they cannot find compromise in Parliament at the moment. I've been astounded. I mean, I know how antagonistic, how combative these groups are with each other, but just seeing the reaction, for example, of the Conservatives to May saying, why are you talking with this man? This is outrageous. This is a threat to the country. I mean, this is the normal way of doing politics, is actually finding compromise and consensus. And if you can't do that, you're not going to find a way forward for the country, which works for most people for the long term. And and this is absolutely the kind of... It, it, it epitomises how our politics works. It's this zigzag system where each party tries to undo what the other party did last, because you're just bouncing back and forth between these two big parties. And they're two big parties that have artificially large sizes because of the voting system. So it basically means you've got two gangs fighting each other, which wouldn't be the case if we had the representation that we'd voted for. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's all sorts of reasons why uh, PR has better outcomes. And this includes you know, countries are less likely to go to war if they have PR. And the countries that still have first past the post, and like the developed countries that do, is the UK, the USA and Canada. And I would say particularly that the USA and the UK have a huge influence in the global sphere about war and peace. And um, this is to do with how First Past the Post enables lobbyists to get their way um, a lot more easily than in a kind of multi-party consensus-based system. But um, I'm aware of it, <laughs> rabbiting on for quite a while. So. No, it's okay. I think you probably answered about 10 of my questions. <laughs> and that was fun, but that's all good. Um, no, it's really inspiring. And I think it's such an important message to get out there because I think a lot of people will just they don't know any different and they just accept the status quo. Yeah. And the more that we can shake that up and show them that there's a different way to do it and actually works, like you said, in 85% of the developed countries and it's only some of like the three major ones that aren't there but the damage that they're potentially creating. Yeah. So, yeah, the more that we can talk about it. So what first inspired you then to to get involved or to set up Make Votes Matter? Um, so I guess it, in some ways it was kind of a slow burn for me in that, um, as I said, I've always been really passionate about looking after the environment and averting climate change since I was very young, held sponsored silence for Friends of the Earth when I was seven, um, wow. which I was very pleased to tell them when we met them recently about potentially working together. Uh, but um, So that that's where I come from with it, but I've always hated politics because to me it's always been too groups of blokes shouting at each other. I know that's a simplification, but I mean, if you look at what happens in Parliament some of the time, it's just ridiculous. And so I just avoided it as much as I could. And um, I then kind of eventually realised that there might be better ways of doing democracy. And it took me a while to realise actually we don't have democracy in this country. Um, but there are much more sophisticated ways of doing democracy, not sophisticated, complicated, but just real democracy. Um, and so the basic building block towards that for me is proportional representation. Like we don't even have representative democracy at the moment. So our model is meant to be a representative democracy. But um, when you know 68% of votes are wasted, you really can't say that we have that. Um, and so over a few years, I started exploring things around democracy and um, had this kind of uncomfortable, uncomfortable inkling that I was going to have to do something more about it and really didn't want to because I think I could sense it was going to be quite a big job. <laughs> um, and eventually we got to the 2015 general election um, and it was just so stupid that I just thought I can't not do it anymore. Um, it might be a big job, but I've got to get started. Um, so yeah, I think one of the, the key facts from that election was 
three parties, the Lib Dems, the Greens and UKIP combined had a quarter of the vote and they had just 1.5% of seats. So it's it's not about kind of a le- left-right issue, that's kind of across the spectrum from left to right with the centre also a key part of the disenfranchised um, and that that's that's not democracy when like you know a quarter of people are just not getting representation at all let alone the kind of whole wasted votes picture I should probably clarify wasted votes uh, means that a vote um, either went to a losing candidate or to a candidate above and beyond what they needed to win um, and so uh, we might say, oh, well, that's just how things work here. But in some countries, it's as low as 1% of votes are wasted. So you really are making a choice when you vote. And actually, the, the meaning of the, the word used the, to translate as vote in other languages is much closer to the meaning of choose in some languages. And it appears to become much more tactical, like in the last election. The Greens seem to have really suffered in terms of the amount of people voted for them because they probably swayed the vote to go more towards Labour and towards Corbyn. But if there was proportional representation, then you know the Greens would have however many, a few dozen seats or at least a dozen seats maybe. Yeah. And they could be influencing some of this change and that's happening now. So. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think the key thing to remember about the 2017 election in terms of the Greens' vote share was the Greens were very actively leading on the progressive alliances, as they were called at the time, um, standing aside to let better place progressive candidates win. But that was meant to be about if there was a, a commitment from the person who they were standing aside for to electoral reform and also environmental issues. That's what had been agreed at conference, but that messaging didn't get through to everybody and some people were standing aside just to kind of avoid splitting the vote. So whoever the best place progressive, like Labour or Lib Dem or whatever, could actually win. And so the Greens intentionally took that hit on their vote share. Um, But of course, we didn't see the reciprocity from Labour about that. there were some things that happened locally, um, some little bits of cooperation, but as a party, Labour didn't acknowledge um, any of the work that had been done for them. And the mainstream narrative was just that there was a return to two-party politics of something like 84% voted for the two big parties, I think, 80 to 84%, I can't remember exactly. Um, and so the kind of the commentators are saying, oh, well, everyone's actually fine with two parties. But that really wasn't the reality of what was happening. And on the other side of the spectrum, rather than having kind of local electoral packs which were made by agreement, um, the UKIP candidates were stood aside by party HQ and some of them were really upset about that and actually wanted to stand. But the UKIP position was not to split the vote where there was a pro-Brexit better placed candidate so I think certainly where there were kind of strong pro-Brexit Tory MPs, they weren't standing. Um, I don't know whether they, they did that for Brexit Labour MPs as well. But it, it wasn't a kind of grassroots decision. It was a top-down decision. So a lot of the, the UKIP vote was, again, intentionally given to other candidates. So if we had proportional representation, then we wouldn't need... None of that would have happened because... no. People could just vote how they wanted and their vote would be reflected in Parliament. And it would have felt like actually going to the polling station actually made a difference and you could just go, yeah, I'm going to go with that because that's who I believe in, rather than, well, they've got no chance, so there's no point putting it on there. Yeah, it enables much more honest politics, um, both for the voter and for the parties. And, I mean, our current big situation is that the two big parties are really struggling to hold together and this has been the case for a while, but it, like Brexit is really shining a light on how they're really uncomfortable coalitions. Um, they're both split over Brexit, um, and this has been the defining problem within the Conservative Party for decades, um, that there have been Europhiles and Europhobes. And uh, in fact, that's the reason why the EU referendum was called, because David Cameron thought, well... I can't fix this, like we've not been able to fix this in our party for all this time, 
let's ask the people. And of course the people will give the right vote, wrote the right answer, which for him was that we stay in the EU. He couldn't really comprehend that that wouldn't happen. And of course he had most of the parties out campaigning for staying in the EU, but obviously the people just thought, we're not going to do what you say. Mm. Well, I'm say the people. Um, this is one of these kind of often misused uh, phrases. So yeah, 52% of those who voted um, weren't going to listen to the parties and the organisations and the institutions and the celebrities telling them what to do. And the whole take back control thing, I mean, this is what real democracy actually gives you real democracy means that the people are in power um and people can see that they don't have power and they've just been completely ignored um but we don't have power in our own parliament and people are looking at the eu parliament we need to fix the problem closer to home (laughs) i'm not saying the eu is perfect like that would be another democratic improvement project but I think um, we really need to be um, fixing our own democracy. So you say you've been going for four years now? Yeah, since 2015. And what sort of what sort of strides do you feel like you've made during that time? Well, there have been all sorts of things. Um, in terms of our overall strategy, there's basically three strands to the campaign. Um, and... So there's the grassroots, which absolutely has to be happening if we're going to make the change. People have to be actively demanding this. Um, And so we've got local groups around the country and we've got people taking action individually, either online or um, out on the streets. Um, So of course we do all the obvious things like petitions and um, demos and uh, we have local groups doing street stalls and of making banners. so uh, a couple examples of the grassroots actions that we did last year one was um, hungry for democracy so on the centenary of women winning the vote we did a 24-hour fast um, and uh, we had a few um, hundred people around the country i'm trying to remember if it was 400 or 600 something like that um who all kind of didn't eat for 24 hours um to make a point about us not having democracy and there was a real really close parallel between the number of people who didn't have the right to vote at all um a hundred years ago including women and men without land um it was like 70 something percent i think um compared with the 68 percent of votes that are wasted now so this is absolutely kind of ongoing fight for equal suffrage um we we still don't have equal suffrage um so this is what the the suffragettes were fighting for suffragists before them the chartists so democracy is um hard won um but over time the the trajectory is clear and we get towards more democracy and there's all sorts of amazing things happening about democracy all over the world um but sometimes there is some uh worrying black backsliding and i think indications of that potentially being a real threat here uh, in the UK um, and there are obviously other places where they're kind of taking back some of the democracy. You sometimes see those in power changing the electoral rules to cement their power so that it's easier for them to rule in perpetuity. Yeah, it's a complicated thing and I must admit I'm just so, I find it so um, heartening and inspiring that you're actually giving your time to this because a lot of people and a lot of us would generally take the back seat and might have be able to you know shout from the sidelines and think oh this needs to happen but actually what do they actually do so to think that you've dedicated a huge chunk of your life for four years to do this and I guess it must be extremely stressful at times and you may think like you're banging your head against a brick wall yet as you said you know if you can change the conversation and chart a different course and even if it takes a few decades or longer hopefully not then it starts somewhere, doesn't it? And it starts with generally a few people coming together with a collective goal and a collective vision to make some difference and to change. And yeah. so I commend you for that. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, um, yeah, it does take a bit of work to do it, but um, we are very hopeful that we can do it in years rather than decades. And I think the, the kind of the key logical steps to making that happen, like, we absolutely believe they are doable. So. 
I've talked about the, the grassroots, so that's having the kind of the general demand um, and that being kind of vocal and visible. We have to get one of the big parties on board. Um, and so throughout the campaign, we've been focused on Labour because we know that we can get them on board. Um, the Tories would be a lot harder, but there is actually movement within the Conservatives um, for proportional representation as well. Um, so I'm hopeful that we'll start building at least some small support from within that party. Um, I think MPs can really see there's a problem with democracy at the moment. Um, and uh, you'd have to be kind of deluding yourself to, to think that that wasn't the case. So I think there's more openness to look at it. But in terms of Labour, there are kind of key steps to converting the party. And there's the grassroots part of that, which is getting, we train and send speakers to constituency Labour parties and they raise motions. We've had 57 now passed. Amazing. asking for the party to support PR so that's definitely one of the milestones um, and we've now got a full third of the parliamentary Labour Party on board and that includes people like the, the Shadow Chancellor um, so we're really hopeful that we can kind of continue making that sea change happen. And that's just in four years? Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and of course there was already support before we existed um, but it's about surfacing that and growing that and so we've got a report which I can show you which um, uh, is all about the Labour case for electoral reform um, and talks about a lot of the outcomes I was talking about earlier um, and then the, the kind of the final third strand that I was referring to again there are kind of tangible parts to this we've got an alliance um, of all of the British opposition parties, aside from Labour, loads of democracy organisations, other organisations and kind of public figures. And um, we meet quarterly to kind of build consensus about the way forward, about um, voting systems and so on, um, and to coordinate action. And um, last year we developed the Good Systems Agreement. So um, that feels like a huge milestone because we've actually got all of the British opposition parties, aside from Labour, to formally endorse this document, which is a kind of condensed, um, it's like a distilled summary of uh, a lot of, there have been a lot of uh, national consultations about proportional representation and electoral reform in different countries. So there was one in Canada not too long ago, which unfortunately then got ignored by Justin Trudeau afterwards. Um, he decided that he wasn't going to go ahead with that, but they did some brilliant work. Um, there's one was one more recently in Wales, um, again with some excellent work. Um, and uh, in the UK, there have been pre previous consultations. So we kind of drew all of that together and obviously consulted, had the document open for consultation with all sorts of people who have opinions about these things and um, have a document that sets out the principles of good voting systems. So rather than saying we're all going to agree on one voting system, um, which is now on impossible and has taken a huge amount of energy from the electoral reform movement for many, many decades, um, we're saying as long as the voting system meets these principles, then it's good enough and if it, one of those options is on the table then we will support it um, and there have been opportunities in the past to bring in PR which have fallen because of course they were voting with first past the post systems and uh, the electoral reformers were split across different systems. So um, we've now got a situation where we can definitely avoid that kind of ridiculous um, mess up again um, and also, we can all focus on taking action to get PR rather than debating what's the best system. And of course, the reason that there are different systems and people prefer different systems are, is because different um, values result in different system choices. And of course, people have different values. I mean, otherwise, everyone would all be in the same party and everything would be fine. <laughs> we just kind of psychically live in harmony. Yeah. <laughs> but, but people have different values. So... Um, yeah, the, the principles include things like proportionality and diversity and accountability and and so on, local representation. If lists are used, they need to be democratically determined lists and so on. Um, and so we're going to be launching this um, in late May, hopefully. Um, and hopefully that'll be another way of getting the message out there that there is consensus about this and this is a way to resolve some of the issues that we've got going on at the moment in our politics. So it sounds like you're building quite a bit of momentum at the moment. Yeah. Which is, um, yeah, absolutely um, incredible. And you, are you running workshops and stuff as well? You, you say you've been to 
in Totnes recently? Yeah, so that was an event organised by Make Breaks Matter Totnes. Um, so they started about a year ago and have done brilliant work since they uh, uh, came into being. Um, it's also where I'm from originally, so particularly <laughs> uh, fond of, of the, the whole movement there. Um, yeah, they're doing a great job. And uh, so they had already met with their MP, Sarah Wollaston, and she was being really quite supportive about PR and saying she would kind of come out publicly for it in the next parliament. And then, of course, she's joined the independent group, or Change, as they're now called. Um, and uh, I think all three of the ex-Tory MPs who've joined Change um, are now saying really quite pro-PR things publicly. Um, and, uh, I mean, just briefly on that, the existence of Change does kind of change a lot of the electoral kind of arithmetic and um, it's quite surprising that some of the people who've joined that group are it, the, the Labour MPs were first past the posters um, for a long time and they now are um, going to have to change their minds if they want to get elected basically um, so we're expecting more um, conversions So how far or how close do you think we are to it actually happening? And what is the process? Does it have to be put forward to a vote in the Commons? Like, for instance, what's happened in the past few weeks where something, a motion gets placed and, and then it's a, once it's a majority, then it gets put in and then what happens it then go to the Lords that they then rubber stamp it? Would that be the process? Yeah, so there's obviously different routes that uh, a proportional voting system could become law. Um, yeah, I mean, effectively, you need to have something passed by Parliament. Um, there are, of course, different ways you could go about that, like you could have Parliament legislate for a referendum. We don't actively advocate for a referendum because we think there are problems with how democratic our referendums are in this country at the moment. Um, the Electoral Reform Society, some of our allies, did a, a great report about kind of how democratic or not the uh, referendums um, in the UK have been over recent years. Um, and yeah, spoiler alert, <laughs> they're basically not very democratic. Um, and so there's huge scope for um, interference from outside uh, uh, actors. So it could other countries interfering, like big money certainly interfering. The whole issue of dark data, you don't know kind of what's happening with targeted Facebook ads and things like that. I mean, that's starting to very sh slowly shift. Um, what we actually advocate for, and this is mentioned in the Good Systems Agreement, is that we think there should be a citizens' assembly uh, to choose the voting system for the UK. So whilst the Alliance has agreed on the principles of good voting systems, um, we don't think it's for us to choose the voting system um, and citizens assemblies are a great way to get um, just normal citizens to have all of the information in front of them and deliberate together with professional facilitation um, and sometimes this might be like one weekend a month over a series of months um, but they tend to come to a lot more consensus than the kind of public debates that we've been seeing about Brexit, uh, everything just becomes really divided and kind of us against them. Uh, whereas if you've got a handful of people in a room then and you actually listen to each other, you realise you've got more in common than you otherwise would have thought and you can find a middle ground. Um, they used uh, a citizens' assembly to great effect in Ireland for the abortion rights issue. Um, and the uh, Citizens' Assembly of 99 people came up with some recommendations over... The process happened over a year, I think, um, and that then went to a referendum for the people to vote on. So that was a, like a, a wonderful example of how these things can work well. Um, yeah, so there are, there are various routes, and of course the most simple route would be that um, you could have... A majority of MPs elected on pro-PR manifestos and then actually they, there wouldn't be a technical need for them to consult the public 
I think the public should be consulted as per my citizens assembly suggestion um, but uh, technically you could have like a kind of Labour government supported by the Greens, the Lib Dems, um, SNP, Plaid Cymru, whatever kind of combination of parties. <laughs> that mixture I've just said sounds very implausible <laughs> that would happen, but who knows? Um, and and they could say, well, we all had PR in our manifestos, so um, we're going to pass legislation for that. So, yeah, there's, there's various ways it could happen. Of course, there's constitutional conventions as well, and there's big projects happening around that that are just starting at the moment. Um, am I right in thinking in your vision you'd like it to happen by 2021 I think I might have read that somewhere yeah so um when we first started um and there's obviously a fixed part a fixed term parliament act um which suggested that the next election was going to be at a particular date and then we thought well within a year of that we should be able to get PR because the aim was to get the majority of pro PR MPs elected at that election but then of course there was a snap election called, so all of the dates kind of went out the window. So um, at the moment, we're not saying a specific year, um, but we are saying within years rather than decades. And yeah. we think that is achievable because I mean there could be an election called tomorrow um, or we might be waiting for the next fixed term election. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just feels like it's so needed. And ch I think it's just changed. It's just so necessary because... The times we live in like things are so uncertain and shifting and for systems to be in a place which seems so rigid and so old in a lot of ways and, and not moving with the times no wonder everything's so fractured and the challenges that we face so yeah i hope it's years as well not decades and mm. it's definitely it's on the horizon i believe that so there's also some uh, good people behind the campaign i noticed john cleese has done uh, the video yeah. for you so that must have been great having yeah that was good fun <laughs> we um we uh, managed to convince him somehow to um record the uh, narration for an animation um and we'd been trying to kind of get him on board for a long time and um so jake who used to work with us sent sent the the killer email that did it in the end and um so he said yes he would do it and um we ended up recording him at one of our allies offices in london um, but then it turned out the room that we had booked was far too echoey. So we ended up taking John Cleese down this tiny, I'm sure, <laughs> not self sa health and safety uh, um, suitable staircase into the basement, <laughs> which is full of all sorts of stuff from various companies and kind of putting him in a cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> so, be one of my enduring memories of the campaign is having to put the venerable John Cleese in a cupboard with um, blankets draped over the doors so that um, he could record the narration. <laughs> but he was he was very um, game. He kind of went along with it. It's very good of him. <laughs> oh, that's a brilliant story. And I noticed in the animation that it sounds like he was behind it like years ago. Yeah, yeah, he's been a supporter for many decades. Like he's um, did party political broadcasts about proportional representation, probably before I was born. <laughs> yeah, they looked. Yeah, he looked really young on some of them shots. Yeah. And is there anyone else? I know it's not necessarily. You don't just want to be thinking, oh, let's get you know people, famous people behind it. But it does certainly help to an mm. extent because that voice is so recognisable and people can you know, yeah, it can catch people's attention is there some other people that you've you've got on board or you'd like to be on board to to support it yeah sure so i mean that there's all sorts in the alliance um people like brian eno who's been very active with us at times so he did the um, hungry for democracy action with us um and uh there's you kind know, of various comedians like frankie boyle francesca martinez um josie long um, and you know, people have contributed kind of different ways and to different extents and obviously these people tend to be really busy but we've had some yeah lots of kind of very generous contribution of time by lots of different people um, uh, yeah who are other people's worth money? we've got Billy Bragg in there and Billy Bragg's obviously a kind of renowned campaigner um, yeah there's all sorts um, but we're always wanting to build up that group of people to yeah, have more, more visible people taking action. Um, we've got a couple of Guardian columnists like uh, Polly Toynbee and Owen Jones, who have both spoken at events of ours and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, when I was first come across it a few years ago, it seemed to be that like Owen Jones was sort of plastered over a little bit with the campaign, and I kind of when I it only took us to do a little bit of digging, I didn't know how involved he was actually he was in it and whether he was part of it, but is he just supporting the campaign? Yeah, so he's part of the alliance. Um, it's been a little while since we've done something with him, um, but yeah, he's kind of spoken at events of ours in the past, and he used to write quite a lot about this. Um, he's not been writing so much about PR recently. I'm not really sure what that's about, but um, I guess he's, his priorities have shifted or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's yeah happens with people time to time. They've got other things on their plates. I'm interested to know, sort of, you know, what. It can feel like if someone was to say what politicians do you, do you admire, I don't think many people would, you know, they wouldn't necessarily pick a politician to admire. It would be someone else mm. in the public arena that they would feel motivated or inspired by. Um, but something that's come for me recently, like for instance, like the, the New Zealand Prime Minister, mm. she seems to be like a you know breath of fresh air. Yeah. And her approach to things and things just move much faster. And yeah. she, she, you know, she's just had a child, and the child is in parliament with her and stuff like that. It's just very refreshing to see. Mm. And people can relate to that a lot more. Like for instance, Theresa May the other week, I just caught a bit of. I tend to stay away from the news as much as I can, but I'll dip in here and there to just get the well, whatever's going on, if that truly is what's going on when you read the mainstream. Um, but she come back from Brussels and I think she was really ill and she had a terrible cold and she could barely even speak. And I just thought, like, on a human level, it must be so tough what she's going mm. through from. And I think it must be easy for just think. But if she was just to stop there for a moment and just be, you know what, I have to stop. I'm really struggling at the moment. This is this is really tough. It's a because it's a shoot this much. I can't even imagine being in her shoes. I wouldn't imagine anyone would want to swap to be to be here right now. So, and I think if they were just to open up a little bit more and be a bit more human and show that you know we can't all hold it together. Mm. I think it was something in the last in America when Hillary Clinton was running for the presidential campaign, and I think she had pneumonia or something, and it, none of it came out. It was it was like no, you can't show any sign of weakness. You can't mm. be on. It's like, but we're all human, and I think yeah. the more we show our weaknesses, people can relate to them more. And yeah, someone sheds a, um, a tear on if they did in the in the House of um, Commons, then people would. I believe would relate to a little bit more, maybe think. So my question really to you is: it you know, is there any people actually or politicians that you actually do admire and think have got really great intentions? Sure, um, and I think I'm. I always say this: I'm incredibly privileged to work with some really wonderful politicians. Um, so I get to work with the ones who want democracy, and that includes ones who want PR. Where if they um, had PR, there would be far fewer of them elected. Um, so obviously that applies to some of the, the Labour MPs. Um, the SNP as well do incredibly well out of first past the post, but they are very active um, in campaigning for PR. So Tommy Shepherd, who is our main contact at the SNP, has been really active. I mean, he hosted our um, Democracy Awards last December, and we had Rory Bremner there um, doing some brilliant impressions, uh, entertaining everybody for the evening. And obviously we were giving out democracy awards to people who like made significant contributions. Um, so yeah, Tommy is kind of one of our great allies. Um, Caroline Lucas is absolutely brilliant, kind of a shining light in Parliament. Um, and she's always making the case for PR. Um, she was on Mar, uh, was it yesterday or the day before? Um, I think it was yesterday, and um, <laughs> it was almost like he'd set up the question perfectly for her. He said, well, Greens in other countries seem to be getting a really good vote share. Why do you think that's not happening in the UK? <laughs> so, of course, Caroline said, well, we've got this completely archaic, broken voting system, <laughs> and people have to vote tactically. And I was kind of fist-pumping the air, like, yes, Caroline, again. <laughs> so she always, um, yeah delivers um yeah there are mps basically from every party i've got huge admiration for um and as i said this is now kind of starting to include some tories who are starting to see that uh real democracy would actually be better for everyone and actually having this false advantage for the biggest parties actually isn't advantageous to those parties or anyone else 
um, yeah, so I could I could name lots of names, yeah. but um, yeah, there's some, some great MPs out there and yeah, you're other right. politicians. You're right with Caroline Lucas being a shining light. She truly is, and even the way that a few years ago she took a step back to try and encourage to get more Greens to be MPs by handing over the... Is she co-leader now or...? No, she she was leader and then she stopped being leader and we had Natalie Bennett. Natalie mm. Bennett is another excellent politician who really champions PR, like one of the, the strongest supporters. Um, and then after Natalie Bennett, um, Caroline Lucas became co-leader with Jonathan Bartley. Um, Jonathan Bartley now is co-leader with Sean Berry, um, who's also an Assembly member um, and uh, yeah, was the, the Green mayoral candidate. Um, yeah, so all of those people um, have huge amount <laughs> of respect for. It would be completely transparent. I am a Green Party member, um, and our approach at Make Votes Matter isn't to pretend that we don't have party affiliations, but actually to have people from all of the different um, party perspectives working for the campaign. So we're truly cross party in that respect. We've got um, people who are Labour members, we've got um, people who are UKIP supporters, we've got people who are Tory voters. Um, Lib Dems, lots of Lib Dems, etc., etc. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be transparent about that. So, yeah, obviously, I have a, a personal place in my heart for Greens, and I've already talked about being an environmental activist. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I come from. Yeah, that would make sense. And like you talk about, you know, there's there's loads of different people from different parties involved in that. And I think when people, it's more about having that common goal and that common realization that yeah, that's something. And but one thing that I think would be like, and what the issue is with Labour versus Conservatives, and it just swings back and forth, is deep down most of us we've got the same things in common. Yeah, yep. it's not given the impression that it is. It's very much divide and rule. Yeah, but if we can let it realize, well, our basic needs are pretty much all the same. And if we can come together on them, and to know that proportional representation can can actually help in that some way. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. So I know being in Bristol that I used to have a really fond eye of George Ferguson, who was the mayor and. You know, I heard so many good things about him and an independent mayor. And I actually think in some ways the rise of the independents would be would really help things because yeah. they would represent that them towns rather than have to toe the party yeah. line. Could you know, like I live up in the north, so in some ways why should some of the decisions be be made where I live down in London? Yeah. It's like, you know, we should be making the decisions for ourselves and have people Definitely. there. So. And George Ferguson, you know, was he an architect, a business owner and He's gone in and was he in for four years, 2012 to 2016 maybe as, as the mayor. And I just heard so many good things about that. And I think the more people that are like that and potentially more people who have got real world experience mm. moving into them positions can potentially have some more empathy and understanding of how the world works mm. rather than if someone has just gone to study politics at university and then gets into it. it kind of, for me, it feels... There's someone else that I've been inspired by. Is it, is it Jack Monroe, who's the, the activist? And I've heard her on the Russell Brand podcast and she was talking about and potentially even getting into politics in some mm. way. She's literally gone right down to the bottom. She's experienced the bottom being on food stamps and depression and she's really bounced back up and is a really strong voice. Mm. More people like that People would, I believe, would totally start voting for them people and believing because you, you feel like they would be on your side. Yeah. I often don't feel, well, may, maybe I'm a little bit cynical sometimes, but I just do not feel like a lot of the time it's on my side. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I have to also acknowledge George is one of our uh, allies, and I've known George for a long time, so he's actually um, been a really big supporter of the campaign. He actually lent us free office space for a few months when we were first in Bristol and getting set up um, and yeah so huge admiration for him um, and he, he does a lot on green cities and he now kind of travels the world to speaking uh, uh, events um, where he's talking about making better cities and greener cities and so he's definitely a very inspiring character as well. I think the independence thing is really important and a lot of electoral reformers kind of bulk at this uh, focus on party proportionality and that is worth mentioning that proportional representation as I said is a stepping stone towards real democracy it's really not the be all and end all um, and of course there's all sorts of other democratic improvements that need to be made but um, we really do need to remember that as we're moving to a proportional system 
that the system needs to um, cater to independence as well. And so the Good Systems Agreement does cover that. Um, it, it's not just about party proportionality. Um, and the thing about the, the, the kind of party whipping system, towing the party line, is really significant and it's kind of been it's been so apparent with all of the the brexit stuff going on um like why would you whip indicative votes it's you know, bonkers but anyway <laughs> so i think having more independent voices where people are just genuinely representing the people who voted them in and not being influenced by other factors i think that would be really valuable and people who come from other places than the typical places MPs normally come from, profession-wise. And there was um, some study, it was a summary about kind of the, the working, the, the, the professional backgrounds of MPs I saw recently. And like the vast majority of them are all from kind of particular areas. Like you haven't got a load of farmers or like so many teachers or whatever represented in, in Parliament. And um, we should have all of the faces of the UK represented in Parliament. I'm not saying kind of a demographic match it should be who people vote for, but it should be much closer to um, what uh, what the country looks like than it currently is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I fully, fully behind that, and because I think a lot of people feel disempowered because it's you know. At the end of the day, we're the ones that are voting them in, so it should be there to serve the people, but it generally doesn't feel like it's there to serve the people in a lot of ways because there's so much lobbying and big business has so much control and influence. Yeah. And then when you start to find out that MPs are on the board of directors and involved with these things and they've got all the expenses scandal, it just kind of feels, it does feel broken. Yeah. It really does. But, you know, you're here. And you're doing what you're doing and you're making some change so how can actually people who are listening to this thinking okay i want to get involved in this i don't just want to be behind um, proportional representation i actually want to get involved and see what i can do to to push it in my area mm-hmm. um there's all sorts of things people can do and kind of to whatever level of involvement they want so um on our website generally whatever the current current most important action is will be on the landing page um, I can't remember actually what's at the moment. It might be the, just the John Cleese animation, but um, if we've got a big event coming up or a petition or something, then generally you get to that landing page and you can immediately navigate to the, the thing to do now. Um, then, of course, there are activist pages on our website which list other things you can do to get involved. Like a, a really good way to get involved um, as a local activist is to... Um, either join or start a local group and we can support people in starting their own local groups. So there are um, local Make Rest Matter groups around the country and um, some of them meet regularly, some of them just meet from time to time and do specific actions. Um, And it's a great way of having kind of a local support network of people who you know and you can work with when big action days come up. So um, we'll be doing another National Day of Action um, in July. Um, We had a big one, I think, last July as well, um, which was actually challenging the government's Democracy Week. So they wanted to celebrate democracy. It's all very well to celebrate where we've got to, but we've had a bit of a plateau for the last 100 years or so, and we really need to be taking the next big step. So we did a Demand Democracy Day to challenge that. So we'll be doing something like that again um, this summer. So there'll be street stalls all over the country. Um, I think we had uh, 60 street stalls or something last time, so we'll be looking to get a lot more again um, and have people doing banner drops off bridges and creative things, maybe having kind of choir uh, flash mobs or whatever people's creativity allows. Um, Obviously, people can write to their MPs as well. We often hear oh, well, why would I write to my MP, he's a Tory, or uh, she's a Labour MP and she doesn't like PR, or that kind of thing. But what we hear from those MPs is, well, we never hear from this from our constituents about this. So it doesn't really, it's not enough to just say, well, they, they won't change their mind, because if they don't hear from you, then they definitely won't change their mind. And we have had both Labour and Conservative MPs change their mind as a direct consequence of people going and meeting with them. 
So if somebody wants to go and meet their MP and they're a bit scared to go on their own, we can support with that and um, do a mail out to the area and see if anyone else wants to go as well so we can help coordinate that. Um, and that has a real tangible kind of effect. Um, yeah, the, 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 basically the people only need to be constrained by their creativity about what they might do. We say we'll support anyone who's working for PR as long as they're doing so respectfully. Um, so I, I basically say go to the website and see all of the things that you can do <laughs> and do some of them. I'll be sure to link link onto that. Um, and yeah, and, and think what I've found is like I've got involved in some things in the past few years, whether it be the anti-fracking campaign and going along and with the banners and being involved in that. And in a way, it's it's an amazing place to meet new people as well mm. and to connect with like shared vision and shared goals and to didn't have to be all about anti-fracking in that instance or whatever it's you start to realize that you have other things in common and other things that are worth fighting for and rather and you feel like you have got some power yeah. when that it's very empowering to yeah. feel like you can affect some change by coming together yeah i think this is one of the most inspiring things about this like i always thought i couldn't do anything about politics that I felt completely disempowered and thought the whole thing was just disgusting and then when you say well I will do something and it's terrifying and it feels like a massive impossible task but once you start doing it you realize you can do something and actually you can do a lot <laughs> you can have a real difference um, and yeah I'm I'm sure we will get PR soon it's not a matter of um, if it's when um, so I think that when will be soon. It feels like we're pushing on an open door and um, the universe is aligning for us. <laughs> I think it is. And I think because of the internet and the way things have changed over the time, going back 10, 20 years, you'd either get your information from a newspaper, the radio or the TV, and it would be very manufactured in a way. But now the channels are completely open. And that's one of the great things of the internet and the way things can spread. Obviously, there's a lot of um, stuff that's maybe not so great on there. but Manufactured. <laughs> yes. Um, but generally, I think it can be a force for good. And yeah. that's why you having your site and people being able to connect with it and to see what's going on in their area. Yeah, it's a great time. So you touched on the environment and you did a, when you were seven, you got involved with Friends of the Earth. Mm. So... Is that something, you know, the seeds were laid pretty early on for you to, to be involved in stuff? Is there other things that you've done over the years in between um, making a stand at seven before you started to do yeah, make sure. matter? So a kind of a, quite a chunk of my professional background um, was in sustainable enterprise. Um, and so for a while I was at a carbon consultancy. Um, so I was doing kind of marketing business development there rather than actually going and doing the kind of site evaluations. Um uh, and I also worked at an environmental network which was helping organisations to um, uh, make their su supply chains more sustainable um, and also worked on some sustainable recruitment, so like recruiting sea-level um, uh, um, executives for organisations but that was kind of quite a short-term thing shortly before I started doing Make Votes Matter. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've I've been involved in kind of environmental activism stuff throughout, so you know, demos, marches, um, etc. Remember road protests back when I was a teenager um, in Devon and uh, protesting with Swampy, who then became kind of a, a national media <laughs> figure, which is quite entertaining. <laughs> I wonder what happened to Swampy. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, it's been a running through my life basically. And I'm interested to know in terms of what maybe influenced that for you such early on. Was it where you grew up? Was it your parents? Was it other people in your family or friends? That Where did it kind of come from? Um, I think definitely part of it comes from um, my mum, who I think really is an activist at heart. She's currently got very, very um, busy with Extinction Rebellion, so she's... Um, I think involved in Totnes, Taunton, Exeter, Bristol, London, <laughs> Extinction Rebellion stuff. So um, I think she might be tiring herself out a little bit too much. But she's currently got a kind of um, crafts hub going um, in her house in Totnes. So they're doing loads of screen printing, like hundreds and hundreds of screen prints. So it's quite industrial. <laughs> um, so there's definitely that influence. Um, and then I think my schools, we had teachers who 
um, were kind of clear about the challenges, um, climate change and so on. Kind of all that time ago, it was already really clear what we needed to be doing, changing. Um, it's a, a shame it's taking so long to affect the change, but that's got a huge amount to do with the fact that we're fighting the system rather than the system actually representing us. Yeah. Yeah, I often feel like how amazing it will be when that day comes. It won't just be a flick of a switch, but when it feels like the system is there to support us mm. and it's behind us and it is for the many. Mm. And it is, as you said, about the environment because all this stuff's going on. And like you're saying, of Extinction Rebellion, and there was a big um, walkout, wasn't there, in the schools a few weeks ago? Yeah. Or the, you know, people. The school strikes have been really impressive. It's, it's like, it can't wait. Mm. It's like, look what's going on in the world. We can't mess about for another 10 20 30 years with right. stuff we have to make the change now and f- the way i see it the, you know the environment has to come first yeah because if we've not got a world if if you know if them trees aren't going to start growing anymore and we're going to completely destroy but we're already dis- degrading the soil and we have been doing with agriculture for so long and, yeah. and the way we farm and if we're not careful we're going to be in a, well it can feel like we're in a mess now, but maybe people aren't seeing it in their lives day to day. But I think a lot of us who are maybe becoming more conscious have seen what it can potentially be like if we don't change course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of um, regenerative solutions out there. Um, and kind of if we were doing massive reforestation projects and um, kind of things like mangrove swamps, there's something out about this recently, that there are ways that we could both combat climate change and... Um, uh, strengthen the ecosystems um, it, it's about having political will to do that on a large scale um, and we need that political will which comes with real democracy um, so yeah we don't have we definitely don't have 10 years to start doing that I mean we we need to be getting on with it right now um, so that's one of the reasons I'm so glad Extinction Rebellion is pushing so hard um, at the moment, um, but we can't just keep fighting the system. So um, their approach of kind of getting arrested to get media attention, and and I think my understanding is that the arrests aren't really happening so much anymore because um, the powers that be have realised that it's intended as a disruptive activity, um, and it's it's kind of a waste of police resources to go around arresting everybody, um, but. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really good that they're drawing attention to all of these things in such a, a visible way. Um, and they are also calling for a citizens' assembly um, for environmental issues. Um, and uh, yeah, we're kind of linked up about that because obviously um, they need to be talking to the relevant people in Parliament who could support those kind of initiatives rather than just kind of going against you have to work with. Yeah. So you touched on then about your mum and she's very active now and I love that I can just picture her now doing all the screen printing with all the little helpers just pulling everything through and getting it out there but you said um, you touched on you know it can be and what I've sort of come to realise with a lot of activists is they can become burnt out Yeah. and I'm interested to know for yourself you sound like you know you'll be putting a lot of time and effort you know on many levels it's not like you just switch on the computer in the morning and and then you switch it off at five o'clock it's you know it's a 24 7 thing because you've got that mission and that goal to go somewhere so I'm interested to know how you will balance that out and what do you do in your own personal life that may support you so you've got you can you can face the day. Do you have any techniques or, you know, whether it be mindfulness or mm. or exercise routines that can support you? Yeah. So I think, as I said, for a few years there, we were, um, yeah, not having lives, basically, and just all we were doing was working um, and, yeah, kind of crazy hours, and you do burn out. You kind of repeatedly burn out if you do that. Um, and, yeah, stress has a massive impact on... on the body physiologically kind of rewiring the brain as well um and so none of that's good one of the things that um has helped me a lot over the last few months um my adopted aunt bought me three months membership at the local lido um and they've got a sauna and a steam room and a jacuzzi um and so i can just go and just like completely relax um and then of course i mean that that was just absolutely wonderful and kind of helped cure my eczema that I developed, I think, stress-related over the last year. Um, 
And then, of course, um, the three months ended. I was like, I can't live without this. <laughs> so I'm now paying for the membership. But, um, it absolutely works out as value for money because I'm there most days. <laughs> um, I don't think I could survive without it, to be honest. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I love dancing. Um, and, yeah, I try and make sure I do that often as well. Um, and, yeah, just having a social life, which I kind of do somewhat again, but there was a kind of good chunk of time where I wasn't, having a social life um so you do need to keep your life going alongside all of the campaigning but it is a challenge and there is kind of huge amount to do and it is um really urgent um so it's kind of easy to kind of slip into doing too many hours because it just feels absolutely necessary like this thing has to happen now (laughs) yeah it can feel like very much in the early stages of something you're all in there's very little time off it's like I've got to get this off the ground I've got to build mm. momentum but then I think it maybe a switch turns in you you actually think I will actually be more valuable if I look after myself a little bit more as well yeah because when I turn up for things I'll be 10 percent 20 percent more me yeah than just you know being drained yeah and stuff so it sounds like that your your aunt's membership for a few months it's funny actually we were looking at things to do in Bristol and that came up and I actually did see that I thought wow an outdoor swimming pool it looks amazing yeah it's great maybe next time I come down so I'm also interested to know you know there's only a couple of little things left before we can wrap this up it's just who's actually inspiring you right now you know what people out there that are really sort of you're like they give you a boost in seeing what they're doing sure um my mum's definitely one of them, and I think she's really kind of got her teeth into her campaigning at the moment. Um, it makes it very blindingly clear to me kind of a lot of where um, my campaigning uh, mindset and um, passion comes from. Um, uh, so, yeah, she's always an inspiration. Um, and my co chief executive, Joe's just absolutely brilliant worker strategist and just really good at getting stuff done so he's always an inspiration and of course all of the rest of the team um they're all brilliant they've all got brilliant things to contribute um I'm, i've got friends who are there to <laughs> pick me up when things get tough as well um so yeah i have to make sure that i um, make the time to see them <laughs> um but yeah i was lucky enough to see some of them when I was down in Totnes um the end of last week um my friend Stefania's uh, just recently had a baby which is a very very lovely and alert baby so I had a little bit of time out in front of a log fire with um her and the baby Luca and my mum and some biscuits <laughs> that was very nice um yeah she's definitely an inspiration yeah, my sister's an inspiration there's lots of inspirations no, <laughs> my doctor aunt carol <laughs> she was a, a fundraiser with friends of the earth and Sostrans, and yeah she's definitely a big inspiration it sounds <laughs> like you've got a great support network there are people that you could lean on who have been doing it the not just to be inspired by their actions but in times when you need someone to talk to you yeah. can pick up the phone and and get some support on some challenges that you face because I'm sure you'll be facing a lot of challenges. Yeah, I think my challenge is actually for me to reach out though because um, the times where you kind of want to reach out for support tend to be the times when you're not doing so great and I kind of feel like I don't want to always call at the time when I'm not doing well um, because it doesn't really seem fair. <laughs> so often I won't call. <laughs> it's often the time you need it the most though. Yeah. And actually, I think you find, what I find is that, you know, people, especially people that are close to you, are just more than willing that you've reached out because they want to help you and they want to be of service in some way when you're going through your stuff. So, but yeah. that sounds like you've got loads of great people around you. And I am sat here in the offices and looking out over Bristol, which looks absolutely amazing. I believe the sun has come out for us now. So, yeah, it's uh, lovely. It's been incredible. So just one last main question, something that I like to ask all my guests. So this podcast is all about sharing what good people are doing, like what yourself. So what advice would you offer someone who's looking to go out there and do their own bit of good in the world? Follow your heart and just do it. Um, and I think for me, certainly, and I imagine for a lot of people, the thing that is the most important um, thing that could be most transformative to make your life how you want it to be is the most terrifying thing because you sense 
how big it is and how important it is. But I think the thing is, once you start, you realise that it's doable and um, it's empowering and it's fun. And um, yeah, if you have any sense, unlike me, you won't work crazy hours. But um, just, yeah, trust in yourself and take the first step would be the advice. That sounds like very sound advice. There's a little bit of a pattern there that I get with a lot of people. It's like, I often say, just take that step and just start. Because often it's when you start is when you start to realise how, well, the, once you take one step, the other step's shown in front of you. Yeah. So when you start to think of something being too big and this grand plan and these expectations, you've just got to go and make it up as you go along in some yeah. ways. Because most of us are just making it up as we go along. We don't really may seem like we've got it together but we haven't i don't think so anyway yeah well, that's just my perception well anyway it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today and i'm looking forward to getting this podcast out there and sharing your story and your message and it, hopefully it will not be long in the next few years before we've got a more thorough voting system so thank you yeah well thank you very much as well so there we have it hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and got a lot out of it I certainly got a lot of it I felt galvanized from it and inspired especially on my journey back home thinking how I can get involved and you know I am you know I feel really stoked from it and people who might be this is going out around about a time when we got the whole extinction rebellion movement massive action that's going on in London at the moment really trying to get people's attention that we have to act now in terms of the environment because it's blatantly obvious that the governments don't seem to be making enough action and seeing what Klein has been doing for the past four years and knowing how much time she's dedicated to this and she's put so much effort in that's so for me it's so inspiring and I love this to inspire some other people who are looking to go out there and do their own bit of good and you go for it you know so anyway until next time have a good one Thank you.